But uh, this weekend, we have in Toronto Fan Expo, which is our Comic-Con. And Frank Miller is going to be here, who, of course, wrote the, the last couple of Robocops. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry, do, you yeah. want, do you want to take a camera and a green screen and get an interview yeah, for us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, and welcome to my summer lair, which for this episode is located in old Detroit. I'm your host, Sammy. Unlike Ed 209, I can go up and down the stairs, Yunnan. This episode is a magical journey into the world of steel, science, and satire. Oh, yes. We're talking about Robocop, the iconic 1987 film that forever changed the landscape of science fiction and action cinema. Look, let's be honest. Robocop is a dumb premise. Executed to perfection. (laughs) As you know, the metallic Marvel was born when Officer Alex Murphy was savagely murdered on duty. His death prompted the creation of Robocop, the latest omni-consumer product, OCP for fun. You gotta have an evil corporation for science fiction goodness, right? Who are showcasing their latest cold-blooded innovation. By the end of the movie, Robocop has waged a one-man war on crime that Batman would envy, and unlike Batman, he did it while slowly regaining his humanity. Now, obviously I glossed over a lot in that TV Guide recap. Cue the Robocop experts who have crafted RoboDoc, the creation of Robocop now streaming on Screenbox. So say yo and sup to Eastwood Allen, Chris Griffiths, and Gary Smart, who are your tour guides through Detroit's gritty streets. Chris and Eastwood are the co-directors of RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, and Gary is the producer. As I said, it's streaming right now on Screenbox. Together, they're as formidable as Boddicker's gang. These three gents get intimate with RoboCop. Their documentary RoboDoc is a four-parter. It delves deep into the minds behind the creation of this special cinematic character. From actors ranging from Mr. Kenny, remember the guy that got shot by Ed 209? Mr. Kenny, yeah, he's in the dock, to Peter Weller, to the director Paul Verhoeven, and so much more. RoboDoc, the creation of Robocop, is now streaming on Screenbox, and I highly, highly recommend it. But before you check it out, stay with me to hear some wild behind-the-scenes RoboCop revelations, including the time Steven Seagal auditioned for RoboCop? No, I would not buy that for a dollar. Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. Before we kind of talk about RoboCop, though, since there are three of you, I want audiences to hear each of your voices. So can you introduce yourself, uh, share your RoboDoc role, and uh, quote your favorite RoboCop line? So your name, uh, what you did for RoboDoc, and your favorite RoboCop quote. Why'd you do this to us? <laughs> Chris is thinking of his yeah. quote. I can yeah. already see his eyes going. going. He's thinking of his quote. Um, um, I, <laughs> um, I'm Eastwood Allen. I'm the co-director, co-writer, and editor of RoboDoc. My favorite quote 
Wow, what is my favorite quote? We're gonna have to cut this down, aren't we? I know Chris is still thinking of his. I'm gonna go with Gary's um, gonna, <laughs> gonna Google it. I'm gonna go with um you're gonna be a bad motherfucker. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. The OCP uh basically motto of uh Robocop. Yeah, I'll take that one. All right, it's a good one. Cool. Oh, so many to choose from, isn't there? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> So I'm uh, Chris Griffiths, the co-director and co-writer of Robodoc, the creation of Robocop. I'm going to go my favorite line being, can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> okay, yes. Good old Clarence. Oh, don't give this to me. Uh, my name is Gary Smart. I'm the producer of Robodoc. Now, it's hard for me because these two are super geeks on the film. I, I, my favorite character is Dick Jones. So if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. I just Googled that. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good confession. I can't believe Chris's was that short, to be honest. I thought Chris was going <laughs> yeah, yeah. to recite a full scene. <laughs> we get the best of both worlds. The fastest technology has to offer onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on the street law enforcement programming. Yeah, oh, you, got it you got it wrong. You missed the line. Uh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. I'm just gonna keep going. Like, uh, I'd buy that for a dollar, right? So, uh, oh wow, it's There you go. But uh, I know, like, Paul Verhoeven is uh, interviewed in RoboDoc, and I know you're talking to him, obviously, about RoboCop. But, and this is a very important but. Was there any time off camera where you talked to him about uh, his other sci-fi classic, Total Recall? Because that's another <laughs> classic from the Dutch I director. Love, I love- yeah, I love Total Recall. I think the problem we had with, with Paul, uh, going in was very weird. And I'm sure we'll have to explain that in regards to the interview, but we got more time than we, we actually were give, were supposed to have. He gave us a lot more time, but yeah, he was actually going out for a meal with the editor, Frank. I think it was straight after. So kind of when we were done and we were way over time, we had to literally get hurried out of the house really. So. It was a whirlwind experience of getting Paul to sign posters for us, as well as chat, chit chat, really, about our kind of process of filmmaking. That's how I remember it. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He yeah. did. He did touch on it where we, we were talking about Rob Bottin. He talked about Total Recall. He, he also the, the the week that we or the day that we interviewed him that weekend before he'd been to Arnold Schwarzenegger's birthday. So he was talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he touched on a little bit of obviously his work with with him and, and being a great guy in Total Recall and, and getting him anything that he wanted as a director. Mm-hmm. Or would just go over to Arnold and say. I need this and Arnold would go make it happen because he had the clout on that production. But that was pretty much it. He talked a little bit about Starship Troopers. But yeah, Chris Chris was, ask, was asking Paul the questions and it was very much me and Gary in the corner looking at our watch going, we need to get as much as we can out of this man. But yeah. Paul was happy to just hang around and, and we, we ended up going over by about 20, 25 minutes, I think. Um, and he was, he, was, he was great. But yeah, the, the, the beginning of that interview was kind of odd because we met him at his house in Malibu. And it was Martin Verhoeven, and his wife, who answered the door, who was lovely. She gave us all a, a load of like ice lollies to, to <laughs> eat, which we were sort of dripping on the carpet when we walked in. It was all these like uh, fruity ice lollies. And then we saw Paul Verhoeven in the kitchen and we're, we're, we're waiting for him to acknowledge us and to, for us to say hello. We're a bunch of you know Brits and we've come over to, to, to do this interview with you. And he basically glanced up from his newspaper and then gone back down, and Chris Gary was just like, oh, God. the blood just went from our heads, and we were like, okay, we're going to be in for it now. And then we went and set up in his um, um, uh, study downstairs. I remember he, had, he obviously had, had several le- levels to his house. We set up in his study, 
And then he was, I don't know if you remember this, guys, but he went on his computer, he had an iMac set up. Yeah, and yeah. while we were setting up, Christy was setting up the cameras with our camera person. And then we, we, um, I glanced over to Paul and he was at, he was on IMDb looking at the cast and crew, but he was looking at the Robocop remake. Do you remember? I remember gushing to him. I think that's the moment I felt a little bit easy. And I think he sort of took us on more was when we started sort of gushing a bit about why we love the film. We're not just here to do a job. We genuinely mm-hmm. love this film. I mean, if I'd had more time, I would have loved to have told him what a massive impact Showgirls had on my childhood, but <laughs> and the, the time didn't allow it. So that and basic instinct. But um, no, I mean, it was, I think you were saying you were looking at your watches. I remember looking at his watch because we were told we only had like an hour with him. And yeah. obviously he was built up as this character for us as well with all the other interviews, you know, like, oh, he was a tyrant. Oh, he was this and that. So when you finally meet him, you're like, oh shit, this is our turn. So Eastwood's story of him looking up mm-hmm. at us, newspaper and us going, hello. <laughs> and then him just kind of going straight back down. You're like, oh fuck, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yes. And I think we were a little bit behind time. And I was just constantly looking at his wrist, his watch mm-hmm. as I was doing, you uh like try, well, having to look like upside down at it mm-hmm. and try not to be obvious and going like shit we've got like three minutes to go but then the time just kept ticking and ticking and ticking it's like oh my god we can actually see this interview through you know we can see it from we can ans- ask every single answer questions we've got for him so he, yeah he was fantastic by the end i remember we got to malibu early didn't we as well and we were sitting in a little cafe or bar and it was like shitting ourselves completely didn't say a word. yeah yeah we didn't, we didn't speak we just sat there waiting going we got half hour We've it's got like one of those world war ii films isn't it start dropping yeah. and just no one says a word mm-hmm. yeah but amazing experience so I, I want to continue on that thread of this amazing experience because christopher i'll start with you and then everyone can contribute their perspective but You've collaborated a number of like these kind of IP documentaries. Uh, You're so cool, Brewster. The story of Fright Night, uh, Pennywise. The story of it. This is from 2021. Uh, shout out to Tim Curry, of course. Uh, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares. The Robert England story, and now Robo Doc. So, as I said, Chris, I'll start with you, and then the rest of you guys can jump in. But what's your prime directive in crafting and like creating these type of IP docs like Robo Doc? serve the public trust of nerds no um i think well, i i've like many of the guys the short of it is brought up you know absolute film fan from the get-go uh i don't stop talking about films i do quite like films um and i think for me it was just this is just a release <laughs> and you know what if i'm gonna talk about these films i might as well do something with that knowledge mm-hmm. and uh apply thing and i i to be honest i just think it's just great to be able to celebrate all the things we love, you know, from our childhood. And it's just nice to sort of unpack it as well. And in, in this particular case, I think it's almost just showcase, you know, kind of like the reason why we think Robocop's like one of the, <laughs> one of, if not for my personal opinion, greatest films ever made. It's a fantastic so it's, movie. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty much it for me. I'd say. I think we've always from day one, right from the Leviathan days, always set out to basically not do fluff pieces just to do we're fans you know at at our core we're fans we're fans of the films that we make documentaries on that's why we've chosen those films Mm -hmm. and we've always said we want to celebrate those movies and go deep dive into them and also give fans more of an experience as well you know in terms of and that's interviewing people who would never normally be interviewed and we've always done that we've always found the crap a loader 
found, you know, the makeup assistant or the hairstylist because these people have amazing stories and they're never given any credit at all. And some of our best stories sometimes come from the people who are just standing behind the camera. You know, it's the actors are great, but they have very, very selective time on set, very selective, obviously, role in terms of obviously their experience. Some people there have a whole entire shoot, you know, and they've got so many stories and no one cares about those people. That's hence why we have 100 people interviewed in our projects. Uh, and, you know, it's then it's down to the lads to obviously you know, edit those people together. So, yeah, deep dive's always been our mantra, always been, you know, and as film fans and behind the scene fans, what do we want to see? And what stories you want to hear, and obviously that, and celebrating the you know, these classic films. Yeah, I think for us as well. Like you think about RoboCop, you put that alongside maybe you know Apocalypse Now, Aliens, Jaws, like films that are considered classics in their own rights, but the production of them was absolute you know torrid times and frustrate frustrations. There were fights left, right, and centre. People, you know, even you think about Coppola being suicidal. Like there's so many stories like that and, and Robocop's another one of those and for us we wanted to uncover that we we knew from some of the earlier EPKs and the, the older retro documentaries on Robocop that it was a tough shoe and it was hot and the suit was difficult and the director was demanding but we wanted to we wanted to to, to to dive a bit deeper on that stuff and yeah for us like we we I personally am not a massive fan of, of documentaries who are just constantly tapping people on the back going, oh, it was amazing to work with that person. They were they were geniuses and mm-hmm. they were so nice and lovely to work with. It's like, but what what have we gained there? What have we got out of that? Like and and having a, a classic like Robocop, the end result everyone's so familiar with, but the story of how they got to that end result, there's just so many like twists and and arguments and and just like bitterness on the set and like the fact that it ended with an absolute um, iconic movie like that and now people are happy to talk about it as well since there's been a bit of distance and be candid mm. about it and super honest about it and drop people's names and 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 be candid like that that to us is gold we're sat there rubbing our hands going oh i can't wait for people to hear this story that's that's so much that is just it, it's just gold to us so um it, yeah and obviously chris and i idolize this film we have done since being literally like three and six years old so um it was fun to meet th- those people involved that's an oddly weird uh, i guess metric for like successful filmmaking like you mentioned a number of movies jaws was another one where things were not going well and spielberg thought he was gonna get fired and like and then he ends up making this classic it's weird now because we get these articles uh, that talk about like strife on the set or the director's gonna get fired or what, and I'm like, ooh, that sounds like a good movie. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, what I, mean? yeah. I get excited. I'm like, oh, all right, there's tension. All right, let's see. Like, when are you dropping? It's that, it's that element of like blood, sweat, and tears, isn't it? I think you know, it's it. I think, but we don't look to go out and make these exploitative pieces. We're not there to sort of dig dirt, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Stab people. But it's getting to the truth of it. We never like to sort of sugarcoat these things. We had a little instance, I think, where there was debate on the set of our Pennywise documentary. Like, ooh, we probably shouldn't talk about how, you know, no offense, but crap, the spider turned out at the end. I was like, no, we do have to talk about yeah. that. And we have to hear the reasoning behind it, you know. Mm. So the the results speak for themselves with all these films. They, they turned out great. But let's find out what it took to kind of make them. I think it helps in a way, showcase and build the appreciation of them like tenfold, really, when you realize like, holy shit, that's what you went through to make that. And I, I think it just sort of shows the level of dedication everyone had. They just might have not been all on the same page at the same time. I think we've kind of experienced ourselves not trying to compare, obviously, our, our work with anybody else's, but even making this project. I think one thing that 
you know, you look at films like you said, you know, Robocop and my favorite film, Return of the Living Dead, that same issues on set with Dan O'Bannon. I think out of chaos always comes creativity. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to be creating chaos. Uh, and I think we've experienced that ourselves when there's chaos. We've become more creative because we have to, you know, you get your back to the wall. You've got to obviously, if you want to finish the project, you've got to be creative and get out of it. I think that's films like Robocop and films like, you know, uh, Jaws and Return of the Living Dead. Uh, that's why they're special because they, against all odds, they've achieved, you know, that end goal and got that thing out. And, and, and most times it's gold, you know. When something runs really smooth, you know it's going to be shit basically because yes. people get complacent. Mm-hmm. People get complacent, man. If, if it's easy, it yeah, it is. And it's, yeah. if it's easy, it's not going to be good. If it's chaotic and you can get through it without killing each other, uh, <laughs> it's good. You're going to get gold at the end of it, no matter what. Because at the end of it, you appreciate it more at the end. And I think we've experienced that. You appreciate what you've done and what you've been through. And you can ignore, actually, as, as Eastwood said, you know, you can get rose tinted years after. Mm-hmm. We're feeling, we're feeling this. And our, we had, we had arguments on the set of Robocop, Robodoc seven years ago. We laugh about them now, but at the time, you know, I wanted to kill Chris, but, uh, <laughs> you know, now it's rose tinted and we laugh about it. I think I distinctly so, remember the one where I went, oh, fuck off, Gary. And I just heard you marching <laughs> down the corridor and I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That messed with me. Yeah. So yeah creativity comes from chaos but that appreciation and even now the way you guys are laughing after your argument like feel free to correct me if i'm wrong but in robodoc compared to your previous uh i guess ip docs right all the robocop actors are like laughing and smiling and telling stories they're they're very upbeat and they're very proud of the work it's not that like the actors in pennywise your doc your previous documentary were down or anything but this one you could feel like they were excited to talk about RoboCop and excited to tell I, stories. I, Am I wrong? They were all that. Yeah. No. I, they were yeah, no right. Well, I think, and again, I'll give the lads credit now. I think it very comes from how the director approaches the subject. And I think the lads, because there was so much you know, fanboys on this and they loved it and they were so excited that Ray Wise was there and, you know, uh, Home was there. That, that spewed out of them, really. So then the reaction was, you know, and the lads knew their stuff. Rob, I think with Pennywise, our approach from that, maybe when we look retrospectively on it, it's a great doc, got great reviews, won the Fangoria uh, Documentary Award. Yes, right, I yeah. We, Congratulations. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you. We, I think we, we went into that very academically. I think we did, you know, it was about, you know, the fear of clowns and the impact, you know, of Pennywise on society and film culture. And that's where you, and when you, when you look at the behind the scenes stuff we did with the actors, they're laughing and joking, but they got very serious because it was very much, you know, let's talk about clown, you know, mm-hmm. chlorophobia, talk about the fear of spiders. This isn't like that. And Simon Brewster wasn't like it as well. I think it's reflective yeah. of the films themselves as well. You know, yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. absolutely crazy. Um, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because I have to admit, watching it myself, you know, Every turn, each person comes on like, fuck, they come across so nice. Oh, he's yeah. having a great time. She's mm-hmm. having a great time. Mm-hmm. Like they were, I, and I, to be honest, I, I appreciate it all the more now watching it. At the time, I think you're just so in the zone about doing the interview, getting it done. And, you know, you might be a bit nervous. It's only afterwards. You're like, like holy shit. They really all gave 110%, you know, doing their quotes and everything like that. Um, and I think it's one of the things I relish in the most when we do these things, you know, we're, we're not doing this to make a buck. We're not doing this, you know, because someone told us to, we're doing it because we love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I've enjoyed with most of the interviews, especially on this one. I think we had it certainly with like Weller where 
the first half an hour or so, it's that getting warmed up and okay, here we go. And it might be like one word answers. And then you just hit this point and you're like, fuck, this is a conversation now. This is not an interview. Right. And that's the thing I love, you know, and I think by the end, Eastwood and I on the uh, Weller interview, when we knew we'd butted him up to a certain degree, we're like, should we ask him this question? Or should we ask him that one? Which we were way too scared to do at the start. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just what I really enjoy about these is that doing the back and forth, you know, with these people. It's almost like a first date too. So as it, <laughs> yeah, it's it kind of like a first date, right? Where like you kind of yeah. just need a little bit of time to warm up and then kind of suss out the person's personality. And I, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. the good the good thing we had on sorry, Eastwood, to interrupt, sorry, for, the good thing we had on Robocop as well was Robodot because the studio we had we had a, a meeting area at the, at the front of the studio, so we could like myself and Mikey and Adam could talk to the guests before they actually go meet Chris and and Chris and. And, and Eastwood in the other room. So they sat there chatting and then somebody would come out and then they go, Oh, God, I haven't seen you in 20 years. And then, Oh, these guys are great in there. They know their stuff, you know, and that really helped. So even, even the get sounds that the locations that we had, which we didn't have on, on, on Pennywise really mm-hmm. as much, that made a massive difference because it allowed people to get really comfortable because the next guest would go, they're good lads actually. They're not, you know, this isn't just a fluff place. This isn't just a little bonus feature. They know what they're talking about. They know more than I do. And I think that made people very comfortable then. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That production office was absolutely buzzing and we had so much yeah. of people seeing each other. I remember Chris and I telling telling you guys off outside and then us getting told off because we told you to be quiet because you're having such a good time <laughs> out there with all the with all the cast and crew. And then just going back to Weller, so we interviewed Weller at the very end of production. And again, it, we, we were nervous going into it because we know Weller is super articulate and intense and intelligent. And we thought he's had enough talking about this film. What where are we gonna go? And we'd done our research. We were on a call before we had the interview. Chris and I was go- were going through sort of priority questions, your A, B, C category, if you like. And we got through that entire list. And then we talked about the sequel and everything. But we had the notes as well. We had the original production doc- documents with us of his comments that he wrote in 1986 that he'd long forgotten. So I could recite to him, Peter, back in 1986, you had this idea that... Uh, Paul Verhoeven wanted to get rid of this line, but you actually added this line back. And he was like, oh yeah, I did do that. And he was obviously happy to talk to it. So I think be- because he was being asked things that he'd not been asked before, things that he'd forgotten as well. And and he's somebody that can just bring up memories like that. But he was like, oh yeah, I did do that. And oh, that rings a bell. And and he was sort of loving loving the fact you could actually see him leaning back and, and taking a sip of his drink, getting a bit giddy when we were asking him uh, certain things, feeding him some lines. But that was amazing as well to do, to do him last and um, being able to inject his interview into the into the documentary and, and have the main guy and that was so much fun being able to do that I want to stick with this theme of fun because one of the reasons why Robocop was successful was because they had outstanding goons right yeah. <laughs> the, the yeah. second episode of Robodoc uh, details the goons each of the actors uh, which are like those goons are on par with like diehards goons those are really good solid yeah. goons yeah. Uh, so putting Clarence aside uh, which of you guys like wants to go first and like share who is your favorite RoboCop goon? I don't think we've got a favorite, honestly. I think Calvin yeah. Jung and Jesse Goins in particular, and they're in that documentary so much because they had so much to give. They're so fun and candid and open, and their their memories were incredible too. And and I remember Jesse at the very beginning of his interview being a bit nervous about swearing. And Chris and I, I mean, we're Brits, we swear at all times. We were like, no, it's a, the film's a fucking 18. You can swear, say what you want. And that was it. They pretty much were like, right, <laughs> rubbing the hands together. And they just died. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was, um, yeah, it was so much fun. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've got a massive crush on uh, Guy Crush on um, Ray Wise. 
because oh, of Twin yeah. Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, my memory from the shoot as well was because as a, uh, we were saying some before, we we came. The original intent of this documentary was right. We want to do Robocop. We love Robocop. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do like a ninety-minute, two-hour piece, more in depth than anything that's come before. But you know, that's what we'll go with. But we had about sixteen people confirmed when we arrived in the states. When we came back home after about three weeks, we had sixty-six O people filmed. Wow. So it was ever evolving. It was like, oh, we got this guy, and that person knows that person. Oh my god, yeah, and the mayor knows the lieutenant. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was all just like, oh shit, get them in. And um, I think it was Gary approaching Ray Wise on Twitter, and as I said, huge guy crush because of Twin Peaks. And um, he said, oh yeah, no, he, he can do it. He can he can be in this afternoon or something like that, wasn't it? Very very yeah, short. Yeah. You know? And then just sitting outside the studio, like, he's not going to come. He's not going to come. And you just see a sort of, like, black, I don't know what it was, saloon or something, you know. You're like, oh, my God, it's Ray Wise. And he was great. And all of them, I mean, Nancy Allen obviously alludes it, but, yeah, they they do not at all match their counterparts Mm -hmm. on film. They're the most vicious, sadistic, fun-loving, absolutely, but the most heinous kind of individuals. But the reality is they're, like, some of the (laughs) nicest people I think we've ever met. So... Mm -hmm. It's a testament to them and their performances. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I- I'd probably put that gang above Die Hard. I think, to be honest, through and through. Uh, you see that meme quite often, don't you, of like uh, them back in the 80s and them at like a reunion or whatever. Yes. You know, so people people know them and they've got such great lines as well, like bitches leave and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and uh, Joe Cox with that like kind of Joker laugh, right? Like yeah. they're they're all they all get a moment to shine. They all have a distinct personality, and that's what makes them so good. Yeah. And so this idea of personality, though, I want to touch upon like the first episode of Robo Doc. You were talking about like the casting of RoboCop himself, and there was some really weird, strange names that I had never heard from like Patrick Swayze to Steven Seagal uh, to Eric Roberts. These are terrible <laughs> choices. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but an alternate reality, Steven Seagal is Robocop. Jesus Christ. Man. I know. <laughs> and I get it because it's like mid 80s or late 80s. Right. So I get it. But I was like, oh, this is terrible. But I thought one name that was kind of decent was Christopher Reeve. I thought that could have been kind of interesting. I mean, like, Peter obviously was pitch perfect. And, like, the the body language and everything that he did as RoboCop was fantastic. But, like, do you think Christopher Reeve could have had the same type of kind of impact, I guess, as Peter? Go on, Eastwood. Superman expert. He's definitely got... Trust me, when I found that out, because that was another thing that wasn't common knowledge. And, again, we had the production documents from from the shoot and and Mark Hamill's in there. Yep, Steven Seagal's in there. If you actually pause on that frame when when you see Steven Seagal and and Patrick Swayze, you might be able to pick out the Hoven's notes on Seagal where he he, he basically says in the audition um, on the document, not an actor. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, they're, they're... a lot of those guys were auditioned on tapes. Unfortunately, the tapes just don't exist. But um, Christopher Reeve, an offer was sent out to him. It was the same with Lance Henriksen. I think Christopher Reeve, me personally, because that, that is where it all started. I was shown Robocop because I was obsessed with Superman and, and the, the first Tim Burton Batman when I was a kid. So Superman was everything when I was a little, a, a little boy. And he had the jawline. He had a great voice. I think it would have been, a, it would have had to make it somewhat a bit more friendly because he, he's not got that sort of intensity as, as well. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think you can compare well to anybody else. I think it's a miracle how incredibly good he is in that film. Mm-hmm. Like the voice, the, the mannerism of the voice that you don't question that it's a guy in a suit when you, when you watch, you don't question that's a cyborg. Like you, you believe it. 
Um, so I wouldn't have it any other way, but I, I sure would have loved to have seen Christopher Reeves um, audition if he was to get that far and accept an offer. Yeah. So last question, all the documentaries you've made so far feature characters who end up becoming tattoos on people. <laughs> people get tattoos <laughs> of these characters. Uh, so what is the next tattoo character you want to explore in documentary form? Are you allowed to talk about the next one? We haven't. Uh, well, we, 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 our next project as it is now. Yeah, we've got one more on in post being post production at the moment, which is again. I hope you get, ever get a police academy tattoo. I don't think you would, but that's our next one. But I think in terms of obviously our next project, we, we were in an about at the moment about. I think we like the series format. I mm -hmm. think um, we, you know we did say. I mean, Chris spoke about it last week, and I think we had some ideas about three or four months ago with Screenbox. And I said to Chris, let's just get this out. And let's just get the physical release out and obviously the four part out. Then let's, then let it, let it settle and then have a conversation then. Because I think we're in a world at the moment. This has been such a, a stressful process. Yeah. Um, that we need to sit back and, you know, we've got this other one, you know, kind of bubbling away with another editor, which and that will eventually go back to Chris. Uh, it's hard because most of the franchises have been done now. Uh, so we want to do a different approach, really, I think, on our next project. Uh, not so much franchise-based, but more what we've kind of done with Robert, maybe, but more about different people, as suppose just one person. Mm -hmm. that, that's cryptic enough, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to say. You're talking about, like, the, the Robert England documentary, like, just kind of yeah, yeah. focusing on his entire body of work more than just Freddie yeah, Krueger, yeah. obviously. Yeah, so when we, yeah, so I'm, I'm obviously Hollywood Dreams, we focus just on his whole career. And, you know, again, I think that would have been nice as a series. And we weren't even thinking about series at the time. Uh, and I think I like, I like the, the format of series. I think because it just allows us to put a lot more in. Uh, and, you know, and I will say for the lads as well, there's, there's like six or seven bonus features for RoboDoc as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so there's so, even, even though there's like four, like four and a half hours of, of, of episodes, there's then bonus features for another hour. Um, yeah, there's so much more we haven't used and obviously we'll be in, in sequels. So I think, yeah, I'd like to do some, personally, I think I'd like to do something which is uh, more overarching about a, a career or, or a genre uh, or a, a character-driven thing as opposed to one particular IP, mm -hmm. personally. If, for, for me, again, if anyone's listening to this and they end up stealing it, I'm going I'm to I'm recall them. But um, <laughs> for me, it would be like Last Action Hero, another film oh, yeah. I adore. That like not as has not been touched, but are you going to get Arnold Schwarzenegger? Are you going to get John McTiernan, and mm -hmm. Charles Dance? Are you going to get those guys to talk about yeah. it? Probably not. If we could, that'd be a dream project. Because again, that was another film that was a flop, but I think it's yeah perfection. I love that film. Probably a bit too ahead of its time when it came out. Mm -hmm. and obviously, it was competing with Jurassic Park. But in terms of another IP, that would be a dream for me. And then anything anything James Cameron related, but he's another one that we're not going oh, yeah, to get yeah. sat down. Yeah, but Eastwood, we're told we'd never get Weller. We got him. That's true. So, you know, we're told we'd never get yeah. home. We got him. So we've always been told no, and we've always got him. So never say never. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, Eastwood, just kind of what you're saying, just to wrap up, like, it's funny because RoboDoc starts off talking about Blade Runner, and Blade Runner was a box office bomb at the time, but it's gone on to have this huge, like, influential career. <laughs> like, it's influenced sci-fi and, like, robots and all kinds of things. Uh, and I think it was just way too ahead of its time for, like, the audiences in the 80s, and they're like, we don't know what this is. This is weird. But it, the audience finally caught up to the movie. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that industry professionals back in the day loved it and appreciated it for what it was. Like, obviously, Paul Verhoeven took inspiration from it, John Davidson, a lot of filmmakers did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the audience, it, it was the timing of that, wasn't it, in 82, um, up against some of the big hitters. And, and yeah, that's another film that's one of my favourites. But when I first watched it and I was about 11, I just didn't get it. It went completely over my head. Mm-hmm. So when people ask, like, what's a film that you didn't like that you now love? I always say Blade Runner. I watched it far too young and it was just too artsy for me. And then I, I revisited it at college and was like, this is incredible. How did I dislike this the first time? It's always Spielberg who runs these films, isn't it? E.T. with Blade Runner, Jurassic Park with Last Action Hero. <laughs> yeah. It's always his films, his summer blockbusters, the trans on things like The Thing and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's because he makes them more, a little bit more mainstream, right? So... Uh, like yeah. Blade Runner is a little bit of work. Even RoboCop, the way that you guys unpack RoboCop and RoboDoc, there's all this American criticism and Reaganomics and things like that going on. It's more than just like OCP putting a dude, a dead detective, basically in a RoboCop uh, suit of armor. You know what I mean? So, but congratulations, guys. It's fantastic. It's four parts, RoboDoc, and it's uh, streaming on Screenbox. So, thank you guys so much for like hanging out and talking about RoboCop. Thanks very much for having us, man. Yo, I'm Sammy, and this is my summer lair. We've been talking RoboCop via RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, which is produced by Gary Smart. The four-part docuseries is directed by Chris Griffith and Eastwood Allen, who all previously collaborated on Pennywise, the story of it. The second episode of RoboDoc is outstanding, as that is the episode that focuses on the goons, including my favorite, Joe Cox. He's the one with the uh, he's the black dude with the beret and that Joker laugh. Does it hurt? Does it hurt? That guy has <laughs> a terrible Joe Cox. Anyways, um, check it out on Screenbox. It's a fantastic documentary. Actually, you can enjoy both docs, uh, the RoboDoc and Pennywise. Both of them are on Screenbox. In the interview, we talked about Steven Seagal reading for RoboCop. Some other actors uh, that have come up who passed on RoboCop or just were not right for RoboCop. Actually, none of them were right for RoboCop. Ready for this list? Eric Roberts. Come on, man. Are we making like a Roger Corman movie here? Tom Berenger? Like, I guess maybe it's not that bad, but I don't think he could pull off like that humanity part. You know what I mean? Like he can do the the dirtiness, but not the humanity. Tommy Lee Jones? Nicholas Cage, Mark Hamill, Skywalker. No, man. Like, none of these are, like, working. Patrick Swayze? Robocop's like the wind? No, man. <laughs> these are these are terrible. Of course, this, these people were all big in the early to mid-80s. So, obviously, it made sense that they would either read or consider them. But none of them, like, Craig T. Nelson? Yeah, the dude from Poltergeist and Coach. Can you imagine Craig T. Nelson as RoboCop? Uh, Ed O'Neill? Al Bundy. Al Bundy as RoboCop. Al, RoboCop working in a shoe store? Yo, come on, man. <laughs> this, is, this is pushing it a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like when you see the Eric Stoltz Back to the Future footage and you're like, it doesn't work. And they were wise and they recognized that it doesn't work. The one name 
on this list that kind of sort of works and I could allow it is Christopher Reeve. I think that could work. I think he could have done both, like recovered the humanity and been like violent with the gun. I think Christopher Reeve would have been an interesting choice. In the end, it's a moot point. They cast it well, and Weller just knocked it out of the park. The body language, the the movements, the slowly regaining humanity, all those little things that make up RoboCop, Weller just knocked it out of the park. He did a fantastic job. Anyways, as we're wrapping up, let's keep talking about RoboCop and the movies we enjoy. Join the conversation happening at my pal Sammy, a Substack newsletter. You can sign up at Substack.com or go to mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. The newsletter is funner than working for Dick Jones. Like Officer Murphy, my pal Sammy is crafted to help you regain your humanity with intriguing recommendations and remarkable pop culture gems. My prime directive is to help you enjoy the best pop culture there is. So. Let's have some fun. You can sign up at substack.com or go to mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe for the My Pal Sammy newsletter. Thank you for listening to me in an old Detroit world. Robocop, yo.